Well, good morning once again. We're glad you're here to uh, join us for this week two of Simplify. Last week we kicked it off, and really what we tried to do is just set the table uh, for this uh, collective agreement, I think, that most of us could, could come to, that, that we're just too busy too often, and we're so distracted. And, and, and my greatest goal this morning and kind of through this series is that we would understand that God wants this rich, deep relationship with us. And if our lives are so cluttered up with busyness and distraction, it's really taking away from that. So what do we do? Uh, because that is something I guarantee you that you want more than whatever else is cluttering up your life and your schedule. Uh, we, we talked about how often current, uh, last week, how, how things that we hear all the time are, I'm exhausted, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overscheduled. Or you run into people, it was funny, this week, as I, as I run into people and said, hey, how you doing? They just said, Ben, I'm crazy busy. I'm doing good, I'm crazy busy, because that's something that we talked about last week, that that's how we respond a lot of times. Now, at the same time, I get a little torn, because with all of our crazy busyness, often people will also say, well, what'd you do this weekend? Well, I binge-watched eight seasons of Games of Thrones. So what is making us busy? What is truly distracting our, our time? And, and we use this phrase a lot of times. Oh, I just didn't have time. I just didn't have time this week. I just didn't. And, and guess what? We all get the same amount of time. And throughout history, people who have uh, had rich, meaningful, deep relationships with God, people who have accomplished great things, guess what? Like the, the time that they have in the week it's really the same as ours. And so what I hope we can see is we look at the pattern of Jesus's life. He's who we're trying to follow. He's the one who gives us the best, most perfect example of how we can have the rich, meaningful life in John 10, 10 that he promises us. He's the one that can explain to us in, in, as we see his pattern of life, what it looks like at the verse that we really focused on last week, that, that to follow him, his burden is easy. And, and it's not a heavy load and a great weight. And that we should be yoked together with him, walking in step with God. And what, what, is, what does that look like? So this morning, we're really going to focus on our schedules, what we put as priorities uh, in our lives. And so here's the weird thing. We are in a weird time of history. Um, a lot of people say as they look forward and look ahead, what will they say about, uh, what will the history books say about today? And, and a lot of people predict that they will name um, the, the age of, now I'm going to forget what it is. What is it? Uh, I'm so distracted, I can't uh, remember it. Um, the digital age. That 2007 kicked off the di digital age. And why 2007, right? Well, first of all, 2007, this stupid thing was, in, was introduced. The iPhone. Let's all boo, boo, love-hate, right? Love-hate relationship with that. But that's when the, the first iPhone was introduced. And, and then in that same, um, uh, I think it was the same year that Facebook really came onto the scene. App Store came out. Um, Twitter was around that same time. A lot of these things that really established a new way that our culture kind of does life in, in, in certain ways. Uh, and then, of course, and you probably on a regular basis, maybe if you read 
news stories or, or something like that, you might come across how there's more and more research and studies being done on how are we being affected by all this constant, uh, you know, connection that we have, constant connection to some kind of blue screen or something. What is this doing to our brains? How is this rewiring even how we think and how we interact and how we socialize? Um, so here's some stats I think that surprised me. I think they will surprise you as well. Here's the average number of times that we touch our cell phones in a day. One day. 2,617 times. And, and that's just, it seems crazy, but it's actually way worse for you millennials. You know who I'm talking about. I see some of you guys out there. Millennials, almost twice as much, over 5,200 times a day, they are touching their cell phone. 90% of people today in our culture, the first thing they do when they wake up is grab their cell phone. Some of you guys are like, well, I got to turn the alarm off. <laughs> then you turn the alarm off and you start scrolling. And what we're going to look at is, is perhaps, you know, a better way, a better pattern of, of scheduling our lives, of putting some foundational markers, kind of things in our life, I think, that will produce the kind of life that God wants us to have. I, I thought this was really fascinating to see really the damage that this is doing to us. The president of Facebook, the, the first president of Facebook, not the founder, Mark Zuckerberg, but the, the president, if you watch the movie, JT uh, played, played uh, this, this character in the movie, Justin Timberlake. I'm cool. Um, this is what he said. This is what he said. Listen to his quote. God only knows. Now, I don't think he's coming from a spiritual perspective here, but he, he is concerned about this, and, and he's actually dedicated his life now to try to combat some of the harmful things that are happening with media today. But he says, God only knows what, is, what it's doing to our children's brains. The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? That's their goal. He's one of the founders, and he's saying when they're sitting around developing these things, that's their goal. That's what they're trying to do. You're successful if that's your goal, I think. And that means that we need to give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while. Because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. And that's, that's going to get you to contribute more content, more likes, and more comments. It's a social validation feedback loop. Exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with. Because you're exploiting a vulnerability in the human psychology. And so that's how they even design them. Uh, one economist has described the way that... that, that uh, um, business and marketing is trying to get our attention is just that, that it's all about trying to get our attention and keep our attention. And, and what breaks my heart about that is first I just look at it in my own life and go, ah, guilty. But just what it does with the connection, the deep, meaningful, rich connection that God wants to have with us. And so um, that's the consequences. The noise of this world will make us deaf to God. And I think that is a part of what our enemy is using against us. 
So here's one thing just to establish a different mindset when it comes to scheduling. Now, many of you probably have made your New Year's resolutions. Maybe your 2020 calendar is already filling up a lot. Well, I think this is what our culture, this is the question we ask when 90% of us wake up and turn our alarm off and start scrolling. What do I need to get done in this day? What do I, what do I want to get done? is the question that, that, like, that's what my day's about. What do I want to get done? What's on my schedule? What do I have to do? I got to pick up this. I got to do this stuff at work. I have these meetings. I have to, and that's what we are driven by, is just what we have to get done. And here's another way I, I hope that we can approach our busyness and our calendaring and our schedules. And it's this, who do I want to become? I think it's up here for us. Is it up on the screen? Who do I want to become? We got distracted somehow. There it is. <laughs> we did that intentionally to see if you guys were paying attention. Who do I want to become rather than what do I get, have to get done? Instead of being task-oriented of what drives me and drives me and how busy, busy I am, instead, what is my life looking at? like? What decisions am I making that kind of mold who I am? and the character that, that I, I kind of, and legacy that I leave behind. Um, I think being driven by just what we get done re- produces the workaholic father or mother. The, the mom who feels like she's just a taxi cab for her kids, you know, as a soccer mom or something. It, it produces the, the cynical, gripey, complaining employee because we're just so exhausted and, and just stretched so thin, and it's just about getting stuff done. Um, and it results in things like poor health, because we're just rushing around, and, and we're just being driven by our to-do tasks, and so we don't have much time to, to think about that portion of our life. And, and most of all, we have no time for relationships, deep, meaningful relationships. And here's the, the, the truth I see in God's word, is that life is completely 100% about relationships. That's the only thing that we take with us from this earth, is relationships. The most important being our relationship with God, and then our relationship with others. That's what's significant, that's what's important, but that's what's suffering because of the way that we're living. And so... Um, another stat that I thought was interesting, in 2000, the average attention span of people in our culture was 12 seconds. That's not good for a preacher. It's like, ah, it's scary. 12 seconds. That seemed, I mean, we didn't have much to work with, but in 2020, it's eight seconds. <laughs> this is rapidly declining. But the more shocking stat is that a goldfish has the attention span of nine seconds. <laughs> we cannot fixate and focus on something solely as long as a goldfish does it on average. <sighs> so we just give up. Let's go home. Now, we have some hope for you this morning. Um, in Matthew uh, 6, 31 through 34, it's in your program there, and we're going to fill out some things in there. And, and really, I think the life of Jesus gives us hope. Because we can choose to follow and model his priorities and how he did life. It says, uh, so don't worry about these things. I hope you're filling it out in your program if you can. Well, don't worry about these things. Because I think when we're thinking about 
to-do list and filling up our schedule, and here's all the things we have to do. So a lot of it has to do with just being tied, well, I, I got to do these basic things to get on in life and to provide what's necessary for life. But Jesus clearly says, don't worry about these things. What things? What we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. It says these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Praise God, if we have encountered Jesus, we have been introduced to a completely upside-down way of thinking and living. And, and it says, when we get consumed and distracted by, by what other people get distracted, that, that's just, we're, we're looking like we've never encountered Jesus. And we don't know something greater and better. And so it goes on to say, um, but your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Do we trust him? foundational part of the Christian life is that we're trusting Jesus, trust him completely for our salvation, not our, not our own goodness, our own works, our own religion, religious effort, our own morality. But do we trust him in just the basic necessities of life and how we do life and how we live life and how we are provided for? Do we trust him? Um, it says he knows our needs in the last verse, so don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. But Jesus just reiterates this theme that God is in control. And that as we trust in him, um, things will work out how they should. Uh, Jesus, let's look at his specific way that he modeled this. In Luke chapter 10, this is a time when he kind of is getting away from his ministry you see these moments, we'll, we'll read a couple passages that, that talk about him kind of being overwhelmed. Not, not, I shouldn't say that because Jesus was never frazzled. He wasn't ever overwhelmed. But there were very definite times when he was like, okay, um, I'm going to go away and connect very, very directly to the Heavenly Father. And I'm not, you know, at this point after a season or a, a day long of ministering and healing people and teaching people. And we see this pattern. And one of the things he liked to do is, is he had very close friends in Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he would go to their home. And it was like really close friends that he just wanted to be in relationship with. And we get kind of a, a peak view of what that looks like to connect with others. And here's the, a, a well-known story. Many of you may have heard it in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village. It was Bethany where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. His sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening uh, to what the Lord taught, but Martha was distracted by the dinner she was preparing. If you, you know, write notes in your, in your Bible or highlight or anything, that's a word I would highlight or underline. Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Um, this, in this story, I've heard it... Uh, since I was little in, in Sunday school, and I'd get them mixed up. Wait, which one was Martha? Which one was Mary? Here's how you remember it. Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart's in the kitchen, right, doing, doing all the cooking and stuff like that, okay? So Martha's doing that, and she's distracted. She's making this big dinner. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Was that a good impression of picking up the tone probably of what she's saying. Isn't that funny? Lord, don't you see what's happening here? 
And then she gives a command. Tell her to come and help me. Come on, Jesus. Would you please recognize, read the room, and recognize what's going on here? I'm working really hard to love you with hospitality here. Would you please, is that not, I, I, I read this for the first time as I was looking at this and going, oh, here's a classic story of someone not understanding that the relationship and being with, with Jesus is more important than, than doing things and tasks. And, 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 and this was the first time I was going, oh, no, Martha, you, you are telling God incarnate, to, you're giving him a command in a snarky way. Don't you see? And, you know, it just shocks me. But I think that's what we do to some of these verses that I'm, I'm sharing with you. We're like, ah, here's my situation. And doesn't God understand that he needs to do this or that? And that is the, the opposite of what we're called to do in following Jesus. When we proclaim that Jesus is Lord, that means that, that he is the guide, the, the guider, guider, I don't know. He's the one guiding our lives. When we're talking about scheduling, he's our scheduler. He's the one who is making, is, is uh, uh, the whole reason that we do whatever we're doing. He's Lord of our lives, and, and, and that's her attitude. But the Lord said to her, do you know who you're talking to? Wait, that's not what he says, but that's what I would have said. <laughs> That's what I say to my kids when they're like being snarky. I'm like, do you understand who you're talking to? Why are you talking to me in that tone and in that way? I'm your father. I won't say which of my three. I say that more to, but I'm sure they've all heard that. <laughs> I got two of them in here. You guys are, we love, I love you. <clears throat> because Jesus loves me. And, and, and I love this beautiful response of Jesus because he had every right to respond in that way. But here's how he responds. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. There's something else I would highlight, mark, underline. One thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. And isn't that sad? Someone who was so hectic and so busy and so worried and so consumed with just these little tasks... She was going to take away, take it away, rob other people from being connected relationally with Jesus. I'm sure there's, you know, years later, they wouldn't remember maybe probably what they ate with Jesus or what the meal was like or what the setting was like or, you know, how clean the house was or anything. But I'm sure the rest of their lives, they remembered having this encounter with Jesus and sitting with him. And, and being in relationship with him in the flesh. I mean, what an incredible, incredible opportunity they had. Busy, worry, distraction is the enemy of relationship. And so here's the big idea. If you look up, uh, you know, the first thing on your program there to fill out. Here's my encouragement to you and my, my call to you is to schedule your life around relationships. If that's the most important thing, and we want our, our schedules to not be, us to not be overwhelmed and overburdened and overexhausted with doing tasks and things and be driven by that. And we should be driven by relationships. That's, what does that look like? So let's look at, look at uh, these three in our simplified series. I try to simplify it as much as I can and put, put them in three different relationship categories that I think this is what should drive our schedule. 
This is what should drive our life. And if we get these things right, everything else will work out. Everything else will, will actually, I think, be blessed in a certain way, will be benefited from us being grounded in a relationship with God and a, and a healthy relationship with others. So in James 2.23, um, it says, uh, wait, I've got this thing I, I, I do want to share with you. Oh, yeah, I didn't even share this last time. Um, here, here's the thing with a relationship with, with God is, is just that, is a lot of people, they would describe the Christian life as not religious. We're not a religion. We're about a relationship. And, and, and in my journey of being in ministry and trying to share that with a lot of people, a lot of people come to me scratching their head and going, I don't understand that. That just sounds kind of stupid and cliche or something. What does that mean? But, but here, I think you need to grab a hold of this before we dive into these three relationships that we, we should focus on, is that when we come to a point of understanding that what makes us right with God is what Jesus has done, that we are actually saved by works. We are saved by works. It's just not our works. It is completely 100% the work of Jesus. That's why he came here, to live a perfect life, to offer his life as payment for me for my brokenness, for my rebellion, for my sin. He, so he did what I couldn't do and what no one could do. He was the, uh, the, uh, the worthy sacrifice that pays for, for everything, every wrongdoing uh, I've ever done. And, and so he does the work, and then that's a settled issue. Now, some people in their Christian faith, I mean, I think sometimes they think, well, that, that gets settled at some point in my life, but, but I can slip away from, from being forgiven or something. Or, or, that, uh, or that settles my eternity in heaven, but then I got to have this, this work-based, effort-based uh, Christianity model, which is what Paul would be screaming and, and, and passionately telling us not to have. Um, and, and a lot of people have this effort-based view of Christianity. And, and here's the thing. When you come into relationship with Jesus, you understand that he makes you not just forgive your sins. Then his righteousness is given to you. And you're made completely worthy, completely righteous, completely clean. It's settled. And then you know what you can focus on? What people in religion focus on is, oh, here's all the things I have to do to continue to try to be right with God. I have to like go to church and I have to give money and I have this list of religious ceremonies or I have to make sure my morality is at a certain level or, and I have to do and I have to do and I have to do. But it's settled in Jesus. And so all we have to do beyond that is the relationship side of it. That's what's beautiful about Christianity and that's what's beautiful about what God offers us is it's not this religious system where we don't know where we stand and it's about our effort. It's about Jesus doing what we could never do, us resting in that, and then trying to just live a life saying, thank you, that is amazing what you've done for me. And, and just trying to live up to what Jesus has given us as a gift, trying to live up to the identity that we don't deserve, we haven't earned, but just trying to discover that more and more, knowing that is the best life that we possibly could live. And so... Um, it's all about relationship. Uh, these three things, number one, listening to God. That that's got to be a priority in our life. You've got a little, little uh, room at the bottom of your program there for notes. I just have three little things. If you want to write these down, I invite you to listening to God. I put it in those terms because I think 
That's a pattern that we see in Jesus' life. That he had silence and solitude. He had a devotional life. He had, when I was growing up or I was in youth ministry, they called it a quiet time. And I'll be honest with you. I was like, as a teenager, I was like, I don't want a quiet time. That sounds no fun. Now it sounds more fun, right? You're <laughs> like, ooh, a quiet time? I'll pay money for that. Um, but, but when I look at what, how high a priority Jesus put on this, I'm like, wow, how could I ever think that I wouldn't need this? One thing I hope you walk away with this morning is I do not want to live another day without having a connection with God that's, that's free, as free of distractions as we could possibly get because Jesus did this. He starts his ministry by being baptized, right? That was kind of the kickoff of his ministry, kind of publicly showing, you know, hey, my ministry's starting. And there's a lot of beautiful things we could talk about, what, what John the Baptist was doing and baptizing him and all those cool, there's some really cool things in there. But, but this morning, I want to focus on what he did afterwards. He kicks off his ministry, and then you know what he did? He went and did a huge, like, uh, teaching thing, and thousands of people came, and he healed a bunch of people. No, he didn't do those things we think of in his ministry. He immediately, the first thing he did is went off into solitude, into silence for 40 days. And he went off, and after 40 days, the enemy, Satan, comes and, and tries to derail his ministry really before it gets started, in a sense. And what's interesting about that, I've heard so many people say, well, Satan came to him at his weakest point. After 40 days, he was hangry. Who, gets, who here gets hangry? Point to the person in your family that's the worst hangry, you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> A lot of elbows and I'm just kidding okay we all I don't know I get hangry so that's the idea like whoa he's he's been fasting for four he's like at this weakest point I think honestly it's the opposite that he's been spending that close of a connection that he knew Jesus knows what's happening here and so because he knows what's happening he goes off and makes sure that he doesn't have distractions and has this incredible connection that's 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 you know birthed out of 40 days of, of of just being with God in that sense and then he's like bring it on and and he you know Satan can't do anything to derail his ministry and we see that when he gets exhausted and and he is I mean he's fully God but yet he leaves the splendor of heaven and there's some human limitations that he's put on to himself in order to accomplish what he ultimately accomplishes. Like he's not omnipresent. He limits himself to, to this one body in, at, the, at this point and stuff. And so um, what, what's happening here is he, he is relating to us and experiencing, as he experiences on the cross, exhaustion. And, and the things that we experience. So when we see in his ministry that he gets exhausted, what does he do? He, he goes off into solitude. He goes off to recharge himself. And, to, and that connection with, with, with God the Father is what does it in his life. And I think that's what we need more of. That's what I need more of. So we need to listen to God. Not just us sharing all of our concerns and everything. That's why I put listen. That's more quieting our hearts. I think it kind of looks like this. Um, this is what I think my life normally looks like and probably yours. I hope you can see it kind of this morning. A whirlwind of a bunch of who knows what's flying around in this bottle of who knows what's happening. 
And, and what we have to do in all this stuff happening in our lives is just allow God to settle us down. And if you're like me, when I go and, and try to have a quiet time, I'm the worst. My wife can attest to this. And I cannot stay focused, you know, like, okay, quiet time. God, you and me just, what are, you know, rabbit, squirrel, you know, everything distracts me. And things are whirling around in my mind. I'm thinking about what's happening and what we're doing today and next week and what meeting I have and who's, you know, who's thinking this and who, ah, 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 right? And it takes a while, actually. So I have discovered this, that it, it actually takes some time. Instead of just being frustrated and walking away, that, that I need to actually press into that more and allow God to speak to me as I work through all of that. And, and finally, there's clarity as everything is settled down and I, and I uh, connect and, and try to approach God and actually give him time to speak to me by being quiet and listening. In the Old Testament, we get this, this beautiful picture that God simply says, be still and know that I am God. That when we're not still, that's often the time when we're like, is God even there? Is there really even a God? And, and God makes it simple. He says, be still. When you, when you have that sense and that feeling, it's because you're just, you're, you're running around, you're distracted, you're being crazy. Um, and so he, he starts out his ministry that way. Here's some other passages that, that show this pattern in Jesus' life. Mark 1.35 says, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up, went out to an isolated place to pray, Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. This is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. So just a little context of what he's saying here is, the, is right before this, he was healing and teaching, and tons of people were coming. The whole community and town were bringing people to be healed. And then he slips away. And, and they finally find him, really. They're like, well, where is he? Why did he, why did he from, from the, the I, and I believe the context is that it was pretty much the day before, just tons of ministry and tons of doing, doing, doing stuff. And then he goes away. Because he, that's where he gets recharged. And that's where he gets refocused to the point where instead of following the demands of the crowd to do something that's really good, right? They're like, hey, we want you to continue to teach. Continue to heal. Continue to guide us and lead us. And he's like, no, I spent time with the Father. And I have clarity on what I'm, where I'm headed next. And his mission and his... His, his appointments that God had for him were clarified in spending time with God. So some of you guys this morning might be like, hey, man, you've got this list of things, and you're going to ask me to do these things, like have a quiet time, have silence and solitude, have devotion in my life. You're adding things. You're making my life not more simplified. It's more complicated. But that's not the case, that, that when we're driven and, and have clarity to be clarity of what God wants us to do, we will not be torn in so many different directions of even doing really good things, but having a clarity of what God only wants you to do and what you have to, in a, in a way that you're honoring and worshiping God, say no to 
and what, what you definitely are saying yes to. And so that will simplify your life in, in a radical way, let alone the fact that when you start your day with God and, and start, you know, have that point in your life where he is directing you, that's going to guide everything else you do, how you do everything. That connection is going to guide it in a way that, that God blesses it to, to its full, uh, really, I believe. So Jesus had this laser focus. Still, in the same thing in his life, I want you to recognize that he wasn't so tied to his schedule that he blew off people and said, nope, this is my schedule. This is what God wants me to do. I'm headed to this town. Like, we see this instance where he's like, you know what? Here's where I'm supposed to head. But, but mu much of his ministry was being interrupted. But, but in the midst of knowing where he was going and what God wanted him to do, he had enough margin in his life. He had enough breathing room in his schedule to recognize when God was at work with other people entering his, in his life. When, when you know, the, the lady who, who came and touched his robe um, and, and wanted healing, the, so many of his miracles were interruptions but, but he knew what he was doing, but he still had room. It wasn't so rigid and so calculated that, that uh, um, you know, there wasn't room for relationship with people and ministering to people. Uh, Luke 5.15 says, Vast crowds came to him uh, to hear him preach, to be healed of their diseases, but Jesus often withdrew. There it says he did this often. This was a pattern of his life. He withdrew uh, to the wilderness for prayer. If he needs it, we need it way more. <laughs> but that was a pattern of his life. And that's something in our schedule I think we have to make. Mark 6, 31. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves. It's like there's people all around me all the time. And he's telling his inner circle, his small group of friends, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. And so here's what we've, what we've seen in his pattern of life. The most important thing in Jesus' life was his connection to God the Father. So much so that he elevated it above sleep, above, above eating, and above uh, sleep, eating, and ministry. And, and you know, what, what temptation there would be. To, I mean, he's this rising star. Twitter's blowing up about this new Jesus guy. In, you know, in Israel. And, and, and he puts all of that aside and says, my highest priority is my connection with God the Father, showing us a beautiful picture of what we should do. Um, it's interesting, it's MLK weekend, Martin Luther King. And, and I thought it was interesting when I was running across like how we have a hard time in our lives quieting our souls and quieting our hearts enough to hear from God. As a pastor, often I hear people, I don't know what God wants to do. What's his will in my life? Where am I going to go? And I, I don't want to tell you that. I want to allow God to direct you in that. But how do we hear from God? Not in distraction, busy, loud noises. Not really even necessarily in doing another Bible study. And be, but, but a lot of times in, in this quiet devotional place where we're hearing and listening from God. And that's what happened in Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. Um, he said that here's the pivotal moment in my, in my life and what God was calling me to do. It was early in the civil rights movement. And he was in M Montgomery at that time. And they're dealing with the Rosa Park issue and all those things. He'd be a, been elected to this organization where he was leading it now. 
And so he was a big target. His, his family had a lot of death threats on their family. He, he got put in jail, thrown in jail for going 30 in a 25. Because, you know, the, the city officials and the police department was after him. And it's when he came home after being uh, thrown in jail for going five over, he's coming home and he's hearing about more threats on his family's life. And he said it was at that point where he was just like, you know what, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. Maybe as a father, I'm supposed to, you know, maybe, you know, look out for my family and protect him. Maybe I should just quietly kind of go back to being a Baptist minister and, and taking care of a small congregation or something. And in his... Um, in his biography that was uh, written, this is what he said. Uh, it was late that night when he just said he couldn't sleep. He's thinking about all these things, what he, he should do. He said, I bowed down over that cup of coffee. Coffee is spiritual. God uses coffee. I'll never forget it, he said. I prayed a prayer, and I, I, I prayed out loud that night. I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And he said, at that moment, I heard a voice, an inner voice that seemed to say to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I, I will be with you even until the end of the world. And he said, that in this quiet time of praying to God and God speaking to his heart, change his direction from wanting to kind of fade away to being emboldened to lead the civil rights movement. Here's my question, a little thought exercise. What if he had one of these stupid things with him that night, coming home from jail, hearing about death threats, trying to look at the latest Facebook postings, going, well, who's, what are these threats about? What is the stupid news saying about framing me for, you know, me being incarcerated, trying to tear me down. Man, I'm going to throw out a Facebook post and, 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 you know, really change things and see who responds to it and respond to those responses. And, you know, what, I'm going to throw out a Twitter about the, you know, the distraction that we have. And, of course, I'm just, you know, playing out a scenario of someone who God was able to direct in a powerful way in, in quietness and stillness and in prayer. I think we have to force ourselves to somehow gain that back and not be the 90% of people who the first thing we do is grab our phone and start getting connected and start getting, oh, now I'm angry because this happened in the news and this political thing and this person said this on Facebook and just put it aside at some point, at some time. And make the beginning of your day, I think, Jesus, he, not, you know, sometimes, you, oh, you got to have a, a quiet time right in the very morning. That's what the Bible says. No, not, not specifically. We see that pattern in Jesus' life. But I read a couple instances where he went off and it what seemed to be in that, just during the day. Hey, guys, let's go to a quiet place and let's pray. Of course, one of his most famous times of just solitude and prayer, and he kind of did it with some others, was praying in the garden. That was, that was at night. So, so depending your schedule might be crazy or whatever, but how do you get alone with God and just say, man, that's going to be something that happens in my life. Um, the last thing, uh, last two I'll go through really quickly. Um, and it is uh, number two, quality time with family. 
quality time with family. That's got to be a relational priority. This is how we do our schedules, based on these relationships. Everything else will work out if we trust God in these things. And, and, and here's the thing about family. We've, we've been given, um, you know, the, the family that you may live with or, or that you are a part of. And, and if you're a Christ follower, though, the, the Bible says that we're given an additional family. And it's a spiritual family. The Bible says that when we put our trust and faith in Jesus, we're adopted into God's family. And that's why we do this thing that sounds kind of weird that our, our friends in church and, and other believers, we call them brothers and sisters historically in, in different church contexts. And, and that's why, because we have this very important family and, and that we should be make that a priority and, and part of our schedule. In Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, sadly, this passage is used a lot of times, I feel like, to guilt people. And that is the opposite of what I hope it does. My hope, and I think God's hope, is that this encourages us and gives us a picture of the life that God wants us to have and offers us. And what, what gets us away from this is, well, we get into bad habits. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Man, that sounds good. I need some people like that in my life to spur me, to encourage me. To, to see things that, that, that I haven't seen in my own life and say, man, God has wired you in this way and, 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 and just encourage me to live, uh, to do things that honor God, not giving up the meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And that's why I say this is all wrapped up in loving and encouraging. And then some people would take it to beat you over the head and say, why weren't you at church last week? Don't you know Hebrews 10? Don't forsake the gathering of yourself. <laughs> Whoa, don't use guilt <laughs> to make people feel bad about it. Just, I'm sorry, I hate to give you this information, but you're missing out. But you don't have to keep missing out. Make being connected to your church family uh, a, a, a big, huge priority as, long as, as well as, of course, your other family that God has blessed you with. Here at LifeZone, we try to make it simple. And this goes into the last point, point and we'll be done here this morning. Uh, the the um, simplicity that we have is that we ask people to come and worship as a whole church family on Sunday morning. But, but on a Sunday morning, there, there's, there's something that we, we can't fully experience that God wants to us to experience. Because the Bible's full of all these things that we're supposed to do with one another. We're supposed to pray for one another, encourage one another. Uh, even confess to one another, um, all these things. And you, you can't do that in a corporate worship setting. This is a really great, beautiful thing to be a part of, but it's somewhere where, where you can stay and not be known and know others at a kind of deep friendship way in the Lord. And so uh, we encourage people to do something like a life group, you know, not to just limit it to that but just ways and opportunities to get connected with other people and get to know other people. And then to serve with other people. And I, man, I so appreciate so many of you who serve. There's no way our church could do or reach the people we have reached or, or accomplish anything we've seen God do here unless so many of you were willing to say, hey, I want to serve. I want to teach little kids God's words. I want to even hang out with, yeah, junior hires 
and teach them God's word and high schoolers and and I'm, I'm going to use my gift of leading of, of music to, to lead us together in worship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, this is one of the most important things we do here at this church. When people walk in here, especially for the first time, they experience uh, a welcoming, loving, friendly place. Because we're just trying to reflect who Jesus is and who God really is. And I tell you what, I probably had more people, as amazing as our, our music talent is, and as amazing as the preaching is here, I probably, <laughs> it's just too long, sorry, uh, and probably not, yeah, not, um, but I've had more people say, man, here's what I love about your church, the preaching now, the people, like, genuinely seem to care about each other, and, and even if I hadn't met them, not in kind of some fake way, they just, they genuinely seem to be glad that I'm there and want to connect with me, so you guys who, who do that and serve in those ways, awesome, it's so uh, meaningful. And the last thing is that we have relationship and influence in, in our community. Influence in our community. We are called to be salt and light is what Jesus called us to do. What is salt, especially in this context, in this setting? Man, it gives that stuff flavor. I'm a big Texas Day Brazil fan. Anybody, anyone else out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, save up all year and maybe go to Texas Day Brazil, you know, once every five years. Um, they cram, they, you know, it's all about the steaks and the meats and everything, and they, like, put all this salt over it. You know, it's very, it's, it's awesome. But especially in this context, context, man, it gave flavor to food. It gave life to, to it was a life-giving thing that we're supposed to do. Here's the thing. Here's the picture that we get. Is your neighborhood, is your, your whole neighborhood just better and just more tasty uh, because you live there? Is the place you work just bringing more life and more goodness because you work there, you know? Uh, within your family, you can be salt. You can bring the, this just beautiful flavor into wherever you're, you're, you are because we're supposed to be reflecting the goodness of Jesus and who he is. And then light, what does light do? It, it gives great contrast to dark. If something's dark and then it's light, there's this incredible change. And so we're supposed to look different in a very positive way. Darkness is never seen as a good thing, especially in God's word. But we're supposed to show, and then specifically show truth. That's what, when you can't see something clearly, something's dark, you don't know what's happening. You don't know what the reality is of the room that's dark, like who's in there, what's in there. But when light is shown, the truth is shown. Oh, this is what's in here. This is the truth of who's in here. And, and that's what we're to do is share the good news and the truth. And so that's what we're called to do in our community, in the connections and in the relationships that we have, where we live, where we work, where our kids go to school, where our kids, you know, recreate through t-ball or, or sports or clubs or, or whatever in our community. Um, and so if we establish that, man, these are the things in, in, that are going to drive my schedule in my life, I think uh, we're going to capture and experience the John 10.10 10 promise that, that Jesus gives, that he's come to give us life and to give it to us to the full.